Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. I want to talk about one facet of how prayer works, and you can be seated. My message tonight is a rather simple and straightforward reminder about the power of prayer. I want to share a story that I've just referred to in the past, never really intentionally. When I was about 16 years of age, on a Wednesday night, midweek church, I had just gotten home from church. I stopped by Dairy Queen. Some of you will remember the story only from this for my weekly strawberry milkshake to go. Large. And, uh, and I'd just gotten in the door maybe a few minutes when our home phone rang. That was before there were cell phones. Not electricity, but cell phones. We did have electricity. <laughs> and, uh, and the message was that my grandfather, the famous Daddy Doc, had accidentally shot himself with a 32 caliber pistol was tucked in his waistband, was driving down the road, and he remembered that he wasn't supposed to have it there, so when he reached to pull it out of his waistband to lay it on the car seat beside him, it discharged and shot him through and through. He was rushed to the hospital, he was weak and in a lot of pain, and that was the message of the phone call. We didn't know as a family the severity of the injury uh, some of you know my mom had five, has five sisters, so have a rather large family. So the word was spreading. We were told that they were going to be doing surgery on my grandfather. I don't know why now I didn't go up to the hospital, but at the, at the time I guess it seemed to make sense to not go to the hospital. I love my grandfather more than you can imagine, and uh, I was in shock at the news that my grandfather had shot himself. Now, usually when somebody shoots themselves, you're thinking that they're probably not going to live. At least that's in your mind. So um, I remember vividly walking out the back door of our house. We had like what you would call a den. We called a Florida room that my dad had built onto our small house. And I sat on the porch, my milkshake in my hand, praying for my grandfather. And I can see that picture in my mind like it just happened this morning. And I began to pray for my grandfather. I was emotional, but I also had faith. Many other people were praying as the word spread. And um, this was an early, unforgettable experience in prayer for me where I felt like God heard my prayers. I had been making some serious commitments to the Lord in my young teenage life. I had committed to a, week, a day of fasting every week and more at times. And I made the decision to carve out time for prayer, to cut some other things out of my life so that I could develop a walk with God. I do not believe that at that place in my life, the Lord was calling me to preach, but he was calling me into a relationship with him. And that night after I prayed for a while, I felt a sense of peace come over me. I felt that everything was going to be all right with my grandfather. And I'm not in any way taking sole credit for the way this turned out, but I do believe that the Lord heard my prayers and he heard the prayers of others. The report we got from the doctor was that when the surgeon opened his lower abdomen, what he saw was amazing. The doctor said that that steel jacketed bullet had zigzagged through his lower abdomen. The doctor said I could have almost put a piece of tape on the entrance wound and the exit wound, and he would have been fine. But my grandfather lived a long time after that, decades, six months past his 100th birthday. But that night, the power of prayer was made very clear to me. I learned then, what I guess I may have already known, that I can pray here and God will work there. You believe that, I know. Wherever here is, 
And wherever there is, the power of prayer transcends space and time. And when we go to God in prayer, prayer is a partnership with God to accomplish His purpose in the earth. So I want you to lodge that in your mind right now. That I can pray here and know that God will work there. In fact, I want you to already be thinking right now where there is for you. Acts 12 is a story of the power of prayer and God's ability to deliver in any situation. After Saul of Tarsus was converted, the fierce persecution against the early church subsided and there was a season of respite for the early Christians. Herod the king who ruled that region decided to gain a little more favor with the Jews by persecuting the Christians. Unlike other Herods, he was fairly popular with them. So Acts chapter 12 verse 1 tells us about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And we can start displaying these verses if you don't mind. Acts chapter 12 verse 1. He stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now this must have happened rather quickly because there's no story about how this happened. This is James Zebedee, James and John, the sons of thunders, thunder, the first of the three disciples that Jesus called in the very beginning. James is put to death. And because, verse 3 says, he saw that it pleased the Jews. The Jews were happy about this. You've killed a Christian. It's time for us to get back down to business, wiping out this little sect, this cult. This cult has been growing now, though, and there are thousands of believers in Jerusalem. So he proceeded further to take Peter and then were the days of unleavened bread. And this parenthetical statement gives us a little clue as to why Peter was not put to death as quickly as James. Now, Herod, thinking that this was a pretty good idea, I'm sure in his mind he's got a checklist. He's going down. It's James, and it's going to be Peter. Maybe John would be next, and who knows what would happen as Herod begins to execute the leaders of the church, kind of decapitating the church by destroying the leaders. In verse 4, the Bible says, And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter, that would be better read as the Passover, to bring him forth to the people. Now, Peter's in prison for preaching the gospel. We know that. There's no other reason why he's thrown in jail. He's closely guarded by four squads of four soldiers each to ensure that he doesn't escape. Peter's chain, we read in this story, between two of the guards. And Herod intended to bring Simon Peter before a tribunal, somewhat like Jesus was. And this would have been done in public if it was done right. But since the Passover feast was so close, King James says Easter, uh, they would not have called it Easter like we would have in later times. Uh, it would have really been a disgrace. It would have been counterproductive for Herod to kill Simon Peter on the Jewish feast day because after all, they wouldn't kill Jesus on that feast day. You kind of avoid that because that's a high and holy day, you know. There are some people who call themselves God's people who have little certain days that they won't do things on. They might do a lot of things on other days, but, you know, God forbid Sunday that you would do that. Whatever. So Herod decides that he's going to put this off until after Passover, and he's, then he's going to put him to death. So he's held in prison. Verse 5 says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church 
unto God for him. Every phrase of this verse is so powerful. And it gives a picture of what was going on. And that while the weapons that were earthly weapons had been deployed against the church, there was another war that would go on in the spirit world against the political forces and the military forces of Rome and against the religious forces of Judaism that had turned its back on their Messiah. And this is a vivid, vivid picture of how prayer works, how unified prayer works. Prayer was made without ceasing. Have you ever noticed when, when we pray at the end of a song or when praise at the end of a song, praise, worship, or when we say let's pray, that it's generally not without ceasing. And I've heard different people say that when they've called people to pray, they've actually counted how long it is that people actually pray before prayer subsides. In my uncle's funeral Sunday evening, and thank God for understanding, I, I left quickly, made my flight, was a little late for the funeral, but not too late to speak there. And uh, I spoke about the early days when God was calling me to preach. And I was at my uncle's and my uncle and aunt's and they had an all-night prayer meeting. I had never been to an all-night prayer meeting. My uncle actually prayed all night. I'm not sure. I, I think I was 19. I'm not sure I prayed all night, but I was there all night and I tried. But most people don't quite make it all night or some five minutes or 15 or 30 or an hour. Uh, Paul talks about watchings often, which seems to imply that those were all-night prayer meetings. Jesus spent a night in prayer. He arose a great while before day, and when he went out into a solitary place, there he prayed. I don't teach as a doctrine that everyone should pray an hour a day, but I've, I've been in a circle of friends years ago when I was a young minister, and I heard some guys say, you know, I really don't spend that much time in prayer at one time, but I, I just stay in an atmosphere of prayer all day long. And the way they said it and when they said it, we were just sitting in a, in a hotel, like a meeting room at a general conference. Several guys just wanted to get together and talk about ministry, but something kind of smote me. And I thought to myself, you know, I never feel like I pray enough, but I sure don't feel like that. I do try to stay in an atmosphere of prayer all the time where you pray without ceasing and the name of Jesus is never 20 prayers of repentance away, you know? Um, you should repent when you sin and not let sin build up in your life. And I, when they said that, I thought, that, that's not right. You know, you shouldn't just kind of say prayer is just there when I need it and it's an abiding thought. There needs to be a time and a place because I believe Jesus said, I know he said, that when you pray, when you pray, not if you pray, you should go into your closet. Now we're going to talk about corporate prayer a little bit tonight because that's the setting in Acts chapter 12. But primarily our prayer is done in a place at a time in secret where it is us and God alone. When you pray, go into a private place, a closet, where you can shut everything out. And I've talked about this before. That we do, all of us, I don't want to say all of us, maybe I'm assuming everyone is as guilty as sometimes I am. We always have a phone or something to distract us from the most important person at the most important time of every day. And that is our time with God. But anyway, Jesus said you go into the closet and pray. So I don't want you to think that it is okay that you just kind of take Jesus with you in the car, that's good, and and. You take time to have devotion, you know, while you're driving. That's good. Maybe some days that's the best you get to do. But I, I think it's important that we keep trying to press order into the disorder of our lives. That we don't excuse ourselves for a lack of prayer. It's one thing to condemn yourself or you give up. That's not the answer either. But I think everyone in the room would probably say, if we're honest with ourselves... And not look through the magnifying glass at everybody else. 
a look in the mirror at ourselves, I think most of us would say that my prayer life could improve. And I've always been worried, concerned about people who felt that they were so close to God that, you know, they were just like that. And they kind of talked about how close they were to God. And they were a little arrogant about it. The best I understand is that when Isaiah got close enough to God that he could see him, Isaiah's first words were, woe is me. And if you get close to God, you're going to have a reverence of how high and holy he is and how much you need him in your life and how really unworthy you are without his grace in your life. Truly spiritual people are usually people of great humility that don't even know how close to God they are. That they're like Abraham who was called a friend of God or Moses who talked to God face to face as a man talks with his friend or Enoch who walked with God so closely that he had a personal rapture and was taken out of this earth. Those are people who really walked with God. Prayer was made without ceasing by the church, not just Mary or Rhoda in a prayer closet, but a prayer meeting. Old timers would probably say a red hot Holy Ghost prayer meeting. Amen. They prayed unto God for him. So there was a very specific focus of their prayer. They weren't all gathering there. I have a prayer list and it's really long. They were not there going through their prayer list. They were there at Mary's house, we learn, John Mark's mother, for one reason. Somebody had sent the word and had to be mouth to mouth, running through the village, running through the streets of Jerusalem, saying we need to head to Mary's house. Herod killed John James. Peter's in prison. The word on the street is after Passover, there's going to be a kangaroo court, a mock trial, and they're going to kill him just like they killed James. So get over to Mary's house. It's time to pray for Simon Peter. Now, when you read this story, and I'll get there as the story unfolds in the text, but I want to say it now, it's in my notes to say it now, that it is apparent that the saints who had faithfully gathered there are this prayer meeting, and it may have been an all-night prayer meeting. Might have lasted a couple days, I don't know. But we know it's in the middle of the night that Peter is delivered, and when he goes to the house, they are there praying, so they've probably been there some time, perhaps hours and hours in focused prayer for Simon Peter. But it's also evident in this story that they didn't think it would happen. They really didn't believe that God was going to answer their prayers, but they prayed anyway. And I want to say that now just to say that when it's time to pray, you don't have to feel something to pray. You don't even have to wonder how it's going to turn out. You may have your doubts about how it's going to turn out because we human beings can get pessimistic and skeptical. After all, you know, all you got to do is know that it didn't work out that good for James. What would make you think that something different is going to happen this time for Simon Peter? So sometimes our experiences can create doubt in our hearts so that we don't believe God that he can really do it. Now, I'm happy to report to you that sometimes God hears our prayers in spite of our mixed emotions. You know, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I believe enough to pray, but while I'm praying, I'm wondering what's really going to happen. Verse 6. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now Herod had a good memory. And he remembered that just a while ago, we would say it was in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, 
that the last time they locked Peter up in prison, it didn't work out that good. Because the Bible says that when they put them in prison, that the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and he brought the apostles out. But I love the instructions. He said, go back to the temple where you got arrested. And I want you to stand and speak all the words of this life. I just want you to let them know you're out of prison, but I'm not going to send you off to a cave somewhere. I want you to go right back there again and preach again. And they did. So Herod knew, we better get a little, we be, need to be careful about Peter this time. Last time we just had them in the common prison. Evidently they weren't chained to anybody and maybe, you know, the guard was Bubba and he wasn't really on, you know, on alert and they just thought, you know, just they just got out. But an angel of the Lord let him out. So Herod is taking no chances. Now back then, they would have three-hour shifts and four guards per shift. And, or excuse me, four shifts of three hours each and four soldiers on each shift are dedicated to Peter. We read it, right? He's got a soldier on his left hand. He's got a soldier on his right hand. And outside his cell, there are two more soldiers. And the report from the two from Jesus is that they became his dead men. So it looks like they fell asleep. And remember, when the guards were paid off, they told them, just tell everybody that you fell asleep and they stole his body away. Now, you would have been killed for falling asleep, but they were paid off. You know, that's the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So all, they know all these stories. These are the same people and their descendants and their successors. So anyway, there's two soldiers here, two soldiers there. And I just can't help but laugh to see Simon Peter asleep. I kind of, I, I don't know, I just thought about this today and I know, you know, it's just a, a vivid imagination. I could just see Peter, you know, like nudging the soldier next to him and say, pardon me, I, you know, I, I don't want to offend you or anything, but I'm really tired. Is it okay if I lay my head on your shoulder, <laughs> catch a little nap here? I don't know if that happened. But I mean, they're not that far away. They're like right there, you know. And he at least might have slumped over in the night. He's sound asleep. He's going to die the next day, y'all. But, you know, he's asleep between two soldiers. Now, somewhere on the other side of town, or at least right not, not next door, but somewhere in Jerusalem, there's this prayer meeting going on, right? But this is what happens in prison, Acts 12, 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he, the angel, smote Peter on the side. Now the guards are still there. It's the angel kind of wakes Simon Peter up, thumps him on the side, raises him up quickly, saying, arise up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. I guess the guards are, I don't know, frozen. And the angel said unto him, guard thyself, bind on thy sandals, and he did. And he said unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. So he puts his coat on. And he follows the angel. Verse 9, he went out and followed him and he knew not, wist is a great King James word, right? He knew not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. Peter doesn't believe it's happening either. <laughs> he's ready to die, I guess, you know. So he's, he's there walking out of jail, out of prison, thinking it's a vision. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and by the way, I just want to say right here, it's in my notes, that I'm saying these things because when we read Bible stories or when we think about Bible characters, sometimes we think they were from another planet and we forget that they were just like us. They were just like us. 
They have the same emotions and thoughts and doubts and fears. They struggle with the same things that we struggle with as human beings. James tells us there about that when he talks about prayer, that Elijah was a man of like passions like we are, right? But he prayed, and when he prayed, God heard him. He shut up the heavens. He opened the heavens when Elijah prayed. People like you can pray, and God will hear, and God will answer. In fact, you can pray here, and God will answer there. Verse 10. When they were past the first and the second war, this is, he's deep in the prison. They came into the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. It's just like automatic, but it's no big deal to us today, but that didn't happen back then. And they went out and passed on through one street and forth with the angel departed from him. And he left Simon Peter standing in the middle of the street by himself. Verse 11. I told you this is a very simple and straightforward reminder about prayer. And when Peter was come to himself, like, whoa, <laughs> I'm really out of jail. I mean, this now just dawns on him right now. That was an angel. He was here. Now he's gone. I'm, whoa. And the Bible says, he said, now I know of a surety. I'm glad you just figured this out. That the angel hath, the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the people of the Jews. He realizes that God has delivered him. Verse 12. And when he had considered the thing, sitting there wondering, what just happened? How did this happen? And then, this doesn't tell us all about this, but I think he's trying to decide, where do I go? Somebody must be praying. I think this is going through his mind. Somebody must be praying, where do I go? And he says, I'm going to go to Mary, the mother of John, whose surname is Mark's house. And so he does. He, he walks there. In the night, he walks to Mary's house where many were gathered together praying. Many. I don't know how many, many was, but probably more than two or three. There are a bunch of people they were having a serious prayer meeting at Mary's house. And remember, they were praying for one thing. They just had one, one, one thing on the prayer list, right? It was just pray, pray for Simon Peter. So that's what they're going to do. So let me ask you a question. If you were looking, if you were trying to figure out where a prayer meeting was being held, Whose house would you go to? And if a prayer meeting was being held, is there a possibility it would be at your house? Would, would your house be the place, I know it maybe had to be big enough for many people, that might be a problem for some folks, but it had to be a place where people, and it's almost like Mary's house was a place people went to pray. And oh my goodness, Peter's in prison, we need to pray. Where should we go? Let's go to Mary's house, John Mark's mother. You know? That's where you go to pray. And, and so that's where they are. And when Peter considered the thing, I think that's where he knew to go for a prayer meeting. But nonetheless, he goes there. Many are there praying. And their prayer is fervent and it is desperate. Oh, Lord, don't let Peter die. Oh, Lord, set Peter free Lord, let him out of prison. In Jesus' name, set Simon Peter free. And over and over, they prayed it over and over because that was the only prayer request. You know what I mean? There wasn't anything else on the menu that night. Pray for Peter to get out of jail. I know Jesus taught against vain repetitions, but when Peter's in prison, that's all there is to pray about. So you just keep bombarding. You just keep launching, not scud missiles, but smart bombs. You keep launching, you know, artillery toward the enemy. But these, you know, now I wouldn't have had a problem if 
the church in Jerusalem would have hired the very best lawyer they could get to go and try to get Peter out of prison. But these church people already knew they didn't have any help with the law. The law was corrupted against them. And I wouldn't have any trouble if they wanted to go through the political system and try, but they knew that the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders were turned against them, that they had no hope of any kind of means like that, legal or political, to get him out. And it's an amazing thing because somewhere in the early history of the church in Jerusalem, uh, the history says there could have been as many as 30,000 believers. So there's a lot of Christians in Jerusalem, but they're still not, they don't have the inside track, you know. And so there's nothing they can do but pray. And pray they did. You know, I, we used to sing a song when I was a kid. When you've tried everything and everything has failed, try Jesus. I mean, that's a song to sing to sinners, not saints. Right? And that's what you sing to the person who's like done everything in the world and hasn't tried God. But it shouldn't be our theme song, you know. I tell you what, I tried everything. I guess I'm going to have to pray. <laughs> it shouldn't be our last resort. It should be our first resource, right? So before attempting anything else, pray. Now later... Paul uses his Roman citizenship to get him out of a few troubled situations. But in this case, all they can do is pray. Verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a young lady, a damsel, came to listen named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, all this prayer is going on in the background and through the door she hears that whatever kind of voice he had. You know, an impetuous Simon Peter. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. She heard that voice, that same voice. Saying, this is Simon Peter. Let me in. And Rhoda heard his voice and she was so excited that she ran the other way and left him standing outside. Yes, she did. It's so funny to me. You know? And she runs over to where whoever is praying. I'm going to go with Mary because we know it was her house. Mary, 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 Mary. God heard our prayer. Simon Peter's at the door. We need to go let him in. I think Peter's nervously looking around outside, you know, like, I hope they're not following me. Let me in. So obviously, obviously the door is locked, right? And, and to Rhoda, they say, Rhoda, don't you know he's in jail? <laughs> Get over here and pray. Got a wild imagination, girl. <laughs> These prayer warriors do not believe. They tell her she's crazy. Look at verse 15. Thou art mad. It's his angel. They killed him and now the spirits come over here to tell us to quit praying. It's over something. She constantly affirmed that it was even so. She had to keep saying, no, I'm telling you the truth. Simon Peter's at the door. He's, the Bible says he's still outside knocking away. They're inside praying up a storm and Rhoda's is trying to get somebody I mean, I don't know why she didn't go open the door, but anyway. <laughs> Sleep deprived Rhoda, hallucinating again. Get over here and pray. Herod's going to kill Peter tomorrow. They're going to have his funeral. When we see his family, we want to be able to tell him that we were praying. Right? I know you've never done that, you know, like, I'm praying for you, Lord. I pray for them right now in Jesus' name. Okay. <laughs> Obligation fulfilled, right? It ought to be a little more than that, wouldn't you think? <laughs> Verse 16. I'm not making this story up. I mean, I'm kind of having fun with it, but, but Peter continued knocking. And you just got to go to Mary's house 
in Acts chapter 12 and see it's a circus. To me, it's hilarious. But it's also encouraging because I've been in the church, you know, around the church all my life and in the church, saved since I was eight years old. I've been in ministry 40 years and I've been here almost 23, 23 years this month. I've been to a few prayer meetings. I've seen a few people pray with doubt. (laughs) I've seen a few prayer meetings dwindle away into silence, you know. But anyway, when they opened the door and saw him, they freaked out. That's the new John's translation of astonished. Like, whoa, oh my goodness, it's really him. He got out of jail. God, duh, God answers prayer, amen? And he answered the prayers of people who did not really believe that they could be answered. There's so many indicators that prayer was needed but that they were not convinced that God would hear their prayer. And I mean, I can understand. I've already said this, but John is dead. The Lord didn't spare his life. We've got bad experiences of how it turned out in the past. So how would we think that anything would be different when Simon Peter, we've got all these layers of opposition. We've got the corrupt religious power. We've got the callous civil power. And then behind it all, there's Satan's kingdom. He's trying to destroy the church. Herod rose up. The Bible talks about Satan standing up, you know, trying to come against the church. All of this is going on. But verse 17, Peter beckoned unto them with the hand to hold their peace. All right, y'all. So that means they must have been like, oh, my goodness, blah, 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 look at it. Like they had this signal, you know, it's like, what is signs up in the scouts? I mean, whatever you do, like everybody be quiet. I have something to say. There you go. Thank you. He declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. This would be James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is now like the leading, maybe like we would call the general superintendent. And you see him kind of spoken about in Acts chapter 15. Go tell James, not the one who had just been killed, and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Now in this case, it looks like Simon Peter said, I love y'all. I'm out of here. I'll see you later. Because we, the Bible is so secretive about this, it doesn't even tell us where he went. So it was a pretty big secret this time. He didn't tell them, go back and, you know, stand in the temple, tell them all the words of this life. He went to an undisclosed location. Verse 18, as soon as it was day, There was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? Think about that. The next morning, when Bubba and his brother wake up with empty shackles on their arms, one's right arm and one's left arm, and there's nothing there. And the two keepers outside the door have no viable explanation for what happened, Herod sought for him. I told you he went to an undisclosed location. Herod sought for him and found him not. And then he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. He got all worked up and in one of his moods and he left. The next few verses of Acts chapter 12, I just want to say this for kind of the conclusion of the story of Herod. Herod, the Bible said that he was highly displeased of those of Tyre and Sidon and he went down there to visit them and they desired peace and so he made a big speech to them. He was arrayed in this fabulous garment. Commentators say it might have been all silver and glistened in the sunlight and when he gave his speech, it might have been really, really, you know, beautiful oratory, or it might have been like, see Jane run. But because they were like really wanting to please Herod, they said, oh, it is the voice of a God and not a man. 
because Herod believed it, God smote him with worms and he died because he gave not God the glory. And then the Bible says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And so ends the life of Herod and the continuation of the church. Some of you have heard me say that the book of Acts is a test case of everything that could come against the church then or now to show us that the purpose of the book of Acts is to show the triumph of the gospel over every barrier. That it does not matter what Satan brings against God's church. There is no weapon formed against us that shall prosper. There is nothing that can stop the power of the gospel. Amen. Now our nature is that when something goes wrong, Peter's locked up in prison. And we try to fix it with human hands. Sunday my message was about the air war. And we want to fix it. And there are many things that are beyond our ability to repair. You can say the wrong words. And you can take the wrong actions. You can get upset. You can fuss and cuss and get all up in arms. You can do all of the things that people do to try to fix problems that just cannot be fixed by a ground war, by human efforts. The Old Testament said that the sons of Belial are like, they're like thorns that cannot be taken with hands. You try to touch them or you go try to, to capture them. It's like grabbing hold of a thorn bush. And he said, you better put on a, 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 a glove, a metal glove, fenced with iron. If you're going to deal with the devil, you better have something going for you than just bare hands and just human ability. Amen. Quoted this first Sunday, but the Bible said in Jeremiah, curses the man that trusts in man, trusts in man and makes flesh his arm. I love the scripture that says that the Lord has made bare his holy arm. He's rolled up his sleeves, flecked his muscles and said, watch this. That's what we need on our side. That's what we have on our side. Peter's kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. My simple and straightforward message is that prayer is so powerful. Prayer is so powerful that you can pray here and God will work there. Now I know you know that, but I want you to think about what that means. That you can pray at Mary's house and across town behind two or three prison doors through two guards standing outside the cell, past two soldiers chained to Simon Peter, one angel can walk in and say, and the chains fall off. And the doors just automatically open. And Herod's frustrated. He has, no, he has nothing. Herod can bring nothing to this fight that is more powerful than the power of God that is released through prayer. We can pray here and God will work there. Now there is not always measured in distance, not always measured in miles. The distance between here and there is sometimes geographical. And we've heard through the years of amazing stories of a saint of God somewhere, generally we hear the stories, a saint of God in North America who is prompted to pray here and on the other side of the world, there, something happens. I just popped in my mind, not in my notes. I should have kept the details of this for my notes. Several, several weeks ago now, I believe it was on a Sunday evening, but it was in an evening. It was at my house. I had my computer open. I was standing in our kitchen and I was doing something, probably working. But anyway, I was standing there and just, just like that, a friend's name came to mind, Gary Vick. It just popped in my mind like that. 
And I told my wife, man, Gary Vick's name just came to my mind. Let's pray for the Vick family. So we prayed for Gary Vick and I text him. And I said, man, you're my friend and your name just came to my mind and I just felt like I should pray for you. So he texts me back and he said, our twins just born into our son are not doing good at all. And he told me all the details of this. And this went on Facebook and hundreds of people prayed and it's a miracle story of those babies, babies being uh, healed by the power of God, by the power of prayer. I don't know how that works. I can't make that happen. I'm just minding my own business when, bam, Gary Vick. Oh, I don't know. What's wrong with Gary Vick? What's going on? I have no idea, but I'm not taking any chances. Because you never know. Sometimes the distance between here and there is measured in miles. But sometimes the distance between here and there, you know, is, is a political distance, like an iron curtain or a bamboo curtain. By the way, one of the great revivals in the world today is taking place behind what we used to call the bamboo curtain. And I love what Paul said when he was in prison. He said, but the word of God is not bound. You can't put this in change. You can't lock it up. It can go places that no political power, nothing can stop it. Sometimes the distance is spiritual. Somebody is addicted. Somebody is bound. Somebody is lost in their sins. Sometimes the distance is relational. There's a rift. We want peace in our country, but it can only come by prayer. We want peace in our families. We can do everything in the world by human means, but that it is very best. It is a ground war. But regardless of the distance between here and there, prayer knows no distance. It knows no time zones. And when you pray here, it means that we have the power to go to God in prayer. And the power of God is deployed. It is released. And it goes there and does what we cannot do now or ever. I know this is kind of a, a maybe, maybe a juvenile illustration, but it's like prayer is like the transmission on your car. There is the motor over here. And there are wheels, maybe front-wheel drive, but I see rear-wheel drive. And connecting them is a transmission, right? And we know that the power here has to be transferred there. So there is motion and traction and there is movement, right? Well, it is like prayer is the connection between the power of God over here and the need over there. And when we go to God in prayer, in fact, I believe this is what the most simple definition of intercession is. Sometimes intercession is in a language you know. And sometimes it is with groanings that cannot be uttered. But intercession is going to God on behalf of another person. God is there. The need is there. And we stand between them. We, we stand in the gap. And we make up the hedge. And we grab a hold of God in prayer. And God uses us to connect to a need over there. And when we pray here, God answers there. There's something that is released through the power of prayer. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let me just quickly remind you, because we're going to pray tonight. We're going to pray right where we're seated right now for a while. But in Acts chapter 4, they went to their own company. They lifted up their voices, voice to God with one accord. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke the word of God with boldness. In Acts 12, they pray without ceasing unto God for him. In the Old Testament, we learn the power of joining together that one shall put a thousand to flight and two put ten thousand to flight. 
In Leviticus chapter 26, and these verses are in my notes. If you can go to Leviticus 26 and put this on the screen. And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put... 10,000 to flight. It's not the same multiplier, but it's the same idea that when you join heart and you join prayer, that God does something. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 13, 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree, can we put this verse on the screen, please? Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. I really would like this verse for us to see because this is where we're going. We're home right now. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. I understand we're probably having some technical difficulties and they're doing their very best, but I'm passionate about you seeing this. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth, and this passage is talking about the authority of a church to deal with an issue in the church, but this principle applies to everything, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven." For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus said, if you will take the hand of a prayer partner, and if you will really agree that if you pray here, that I will answer there. So let me ask you right now, in your life in a practical way, what is there? What, what is over there, wherever there is for you that you need to pray about, that you've been praying about, that only God can do, that you've done everything, maybe you've prayed before, but you're just wondering, you know you cannot do this, you cannot fix this. So what is there that only God can do? And here you are, here we are, sitting here. But would you go to God right now for whatever is there that is on your prayer list. And I want us to pray right now together in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's lift our voices and let's pray with one accord in Jesus' name.